0: Take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to Luke chapter 4. We've been preaching through the book of Luke. If you don't have a sermon study guide, lift up your hand and an usher will get one to you. If you'd like to have a fill-in-the-blank sermon study guide and did not receive one, lift up your hand and an usher will get one to you this morning. It'll help you follow along with me. What do you do with your spare change? What do you do with your spare change and, uh, when you come home at the end of the day? What do you do with it? I usually put mine on the dresser, or the top of my dresser, but I noticed, I noticed a, a number of years ago, a little mouse in my house kept stealing my change. I have three little mouses in my house, and they're all feminine. <laughs> That love, you know, finding my spare change down throughout the year. So what I did, I, I, I developed a change jar that I hid. I didn't tell anybody where it was. Nobody. Only God and I knew. And uh, I start putting my change in there. And it, it became a fascination. Put my change in that change jar, jar. As it grew, and it got so heavy. And finally it filled up to overflowing, and I hid it in another safe, secure place and started another jar. Now I've got two change jars hidden away, full. You can barely lift them. And all of a sudden, about six weeks ago, my wife said, What is this, Phil? So heavy, I had to bring them on down and show her. And I said, Well, I've been collecting change because seemingly a mouse in the house Keep stealing my money, my change, and I. It's not that, you know, I need to save change. I'm just fascinated by how much will it amount to, and I, I've looked forward to the day when I can roll it all up, count it, and find out how much I collected over the years. You know, in spare change. She said, "I'll do it for you." And I thought, well, "That's so nice." You know, all those pennies and nickels, and she, I'll, I'll roll it all up for you and take... I said, that is so sweet, honey. And I get real busy with my schedule and with you all. And and it just hit me this week. All that change. I wonder how much... I wonder what happened to it. She had never come back to tell me. And I said... Honey, what about all that change I gave you? She said, I rolled it all up. It took me a long time. And I said, well, how much? Oh, she said, a little over $100 worth of change, spare change. I said, what'd you do with it? She said, I put it in my account. <laughs> don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to raise your hand. How many of you this past year have felt Robbed. You have felt cheated by something or someone. You've suffered loss. That's what this morning is about. But I especially want to share the bright side of suffering loss or being cheated or being robbed. I want to share the bright side with you this morning. That's why we need to begin with point number one this morning. Fill in the blank with me. Would you agree? The greatest of thieves. Cheats. Killers. He struts across the verses of Luke chapter 4. And his name is, what? Satan. After Jesus was water baptized by John the Baptist, what did he encounter? Luke 4 chapter 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left uh, the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by Who? The devil. Look at Luke chapter four, verse thirty-one. Four, excuse me, four thirty-three. Luke four thirty-three. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out the top of his voice, "Go away!" Boy, wouldn't that scare you if you were preaching and all of a sudden somebody screams, "Go away!" What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy Son of God. Now we're staying in the same chapter. I'm giving you a flyover of chapter 4 in the Gospel of Luke. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 41. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God! See, the demons knew something that the people didn't. When you do a quick flyover of Luke chapter 4, you see demons and the devil all over the chapter. It's one of the most demonically dark chapters in the whole gospel of Luke. Would you agree with me? Write it down, our daily conflict with the enemy of our souls is not theoretical, it's not allegorical or philosophical. Our daily conflict with the enemy of your soul and my soul is real, real. Paul brings this out in Ephesians 6.12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Do you hear what Paul is saying here? Paul is saying behind the scene of financial hardship, unemployment, sickness, fragmented families, drug addiction, perversion, pornography, divorce, depression, crime, violence, killing, war. There is an evil spiritual reality that uh, transcends Our power in such a way we do not even compare. We are child's play to Him. This adversary has the experience of countless, countless millennia of years. Uh, He's the one who defeated the strongest man, Samson. He defeated the wisest man, Solomon. He defeated the man after God's own heart, David. Who is this terrible enemy of our soul? Satan. I want, you to, I want to serve you notice this morning. Satan is real. If you're a guest here this morning, you have not walked into a church. You have not walked into a house of worship where we feel that uh, Satan, the devil, is some philosophical abstract. We preach about a real enemy because there's a real Savior. The devil is real a very real satan tempted adam and eve a very real satan attacked job we'll talk about that in a moment a very real satan deceived david a real a very real satan tempted jesus in the wilderness a very real satan possessed judas a disciple of jesus christ and a very real satan has deceived these united states of america and some are fighting a very real satan this morning A very real devil in your home, your marriages, your lives. Jesus said the thief has come to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Where has the enemy manifested himself in your situation? Has he stolen? Has he killed or destroyed in your life? It might be your health. It might be your mental, emotional, your spiritual health. It might be your finances, your employment. It might be your business partnership. It might be your relationship with your son, your daughter, your husband, your wife, your ex. Where is the enemy manifesting himself? Where is it that he would like to steal and rob you of joy, contentment, and and victory in Jesus? Is there any hope? I said, is there any hope? Move to point 3. In the center of Luke 4, in the center of demonic darkness, Jesus proclaims Himself as our only hope, our only light in the darkness. Uh, Here in Luke chapter 4.18, in the very center of this chapter that's filled with the devil and his demons, what do we hear? Jesus announces the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus was quoting from what book of the Bible when he read this? Jesus was quoting from The prophet Isaiah, he was quoting from the scroll of Isaiah. He was quoting from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. But in reality, he stopped right in the middle of verse 2 of Isaiah 61. Why? Right after Luke's version in verse 19, right after proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, is the day of the Lord's vengeance. Jesus eliminated that. Because in His first coming, He's come as Savior. In His first coming, He's come as Healer and Deliverer. In His first coming, He's come as Prince of Peace. (laughs) He's come, hallelujah, to set the captive free. It's not a time of vengeance. It's a time of favor. First coming is the one of Him coming as Savior. The next time He comes, He comes as Judge, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. That means that today, today, we need to realize His favor. Don't wait for judgment. Enjoy salvation and favor. After he read the scroll of Isaiah, Luke 4.20 declares, then he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant. He sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What was Jesus saying? He was proclaiming himself as Messiah. Messiah. The Messiah whose main purpose is to restore financial blessing, to restore health, to restore peace, to restore freedom, To set us free from the tempter's snare. To set us free from Satan's bondage. To preach deliverance to the captive. What does it all add up to? Point number four, Luke chapter four powerfully reveals that our Jesus has come to bring restoration to what the enemy has stolen from our lives. His whole mission, his whole mission, his whole mission was restoration, restoration. Restoration. Restoration of the natural. Restoration of the spiritual. Our Lord is a Lord of restoration. Hallelujah! He wants to restore everything that's been stolen from you. He wants to restore your joy, your peace. He wants to restore your family back to you. He wants to restore back to your peace, your your marriage. Joel chapter 2.25, and I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten. My dad preached a Sunday night message at Parkdale Assembly of God in Livonia, Michigan. I was a teenager. Church was at Plymouth and Levan Road after a hard day working for the Lord. Dad came out. The family came out. We were the last ones to leave the building. And we discovered all the tires of my dad's car were flat. Somebody let the air out. We got home and found out that our home had been robbed, ransacked, vandalized. My sister's room was especially, especially, I'll tell you, ransacked. They said, the police said he was, the guy was probably looking for drugs. Drugs. They didn't touch. My, my bedroom was the only place in the house that wasn't touched. The only thing we can figure out, not because I was more holy, because I had a pet snake in there, Mr. Slithers. <laughs> Eventually, we got some of the items back. But they were not in the same shape as we had known them before. Some were scratched, some were dented, some things didn't even work. When God restores back to you what you used to have, when God restores back the blessings, when God especially restores back uh, lost children, lost loved ones, when God restores back to you what you had lost. Hear me in this. He not only gives you back what you had, he gives it back better. (laughs) There is a principle within God's Word. I said there is a restoration principle within God's Word that I want you to understand this morning. In one part of the Old Testament, uh, thieves, thieves were commanded by God to, re, to, to, to restore back to those that they had stolen from seven times. They were, performing, they were to perform a seven times restitution. Uh, uh, in the New Testament, we, we read of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus who understood the restitution principle and said, if I, uh, if, if I am unaware and I mistakenly uh, uh, collect uh, too much taxes, I will restore back to the person four times what I have taken. At the very least, at the very least, the principle of restitution or the principle of restoration in God's Word is double Blessing. Double blessing in the same chapter that Jesus read from, from the same scroll that Jesus read from. In uh, Isaiah chapter 61, what do we read? The Lord says, I will pay you back double for all the unfair things that have happened. We're talking about God's restoration plan for His children, for His people. This was the story of Job. I said, this was the story of God's man, Job. Do you understand that the book of Job was the first book ever written in the whole Bible? It was written before Genesis. It's the most ancient book in the Bible. Job was the most prosperous, wealthiest man of his day. I always think of him as a big John Wayne cattleman. He owned all kinds of herds and cattle. I mean, we're talking McClintock here. By the way, one of my favorite movies. (laughs) McClintock, the Duke, John Wayne type. Uh, Right from the first verse of the Bible, though, the the Bible says that Job was blameless, righteous before God. He loved God. (laughs) He walked righteously with God. He was the Bill Gates of his day. And then Satan struck his finances. He lost all of his business. He lost all of his finances. And then Satan struck his health. He was covered from head to foot with boils that itched incessantly. I mean sores that we don't even understand the disease even today. He was quarantined outside of the city. He sat upon a garbage heap. Now he's a nothing. He's a nobody. And then Satan struck his children and his grandchildren. They were all killed in a tornado. And it's always amazing to me how God allows some things to be taken and some things remain. Because what was left behind? Job's wife. She was a piece of work, wasn't she? Oh man, she was a real encourager. She comes up to Job on the garbage heap, and she says to Job, Why don't you curse God and die? Boy, you talk about a prayer partner. (laughs) Curse God and die, Job. Why do you hold to your faith? But Job, but Job, but Job, continue to trust God. Job said, though he slay me, yet I shall trust him. Yea, my Redeemer liveth. And what did God do? I said, what did God do? Look at the last chapter of the book of Job. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. They were another piece of work, weren't they? We'll talk about this later, okay? That's an important principle right there to pray for your friends if you're going to pray with a restoration mentality. When he prayed for his friends and the Lord increased (laughs) all that Job had twofold. The latter part of Job's life was more blessed (laughs) than the first part. How many would like to have the latter part of your life better than the first part? (laughs) hallelujah hallelujah that's my joy that's my zeal that's my desire I'm believing for a better portion I'm believing to finish strong I'm believing for a final chapter that is greater than the first chapter how about you that the latter part would be greater than the first part. But, but pastor, what about his children? You said that the, the restoration was doubled. Uh, remember, remember his children and his grandchildren didn't really die. They were alive with, with the father in heaven. So he had his ten children in heaven and the Bible says he had ten more that were born unto him. We're talking double portion. Double portion. We're a God when He restores its double portion. The best is yet to come. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Point number five. But we not only need restoration when the enemy steals our blessings like Job's experience. But would you agree with me? We also need restoration when we experience loss as the devil hurts us Through people. People. Did you hear about the mother that took her four-year-old, her four-year-old to the doctor? It was a large, large clinic. And as they got into the elevator, a herd of people followed them into the elevator to go up to the 14th floor of this massive medical center. One of the, the, the people that got into the elevator was this uh, full-size, large woman that got in there. And as they were crammed in the elevator, the little boy got forgotten and crammed behind the woman into a corner in the elevator. They got up to about the sixth floor when all of a sudden the full-size woman, she let out a bestial scream. Ah! everybody in the elevator. The woman looked at the mother and said, Your son just bit me in the hinder parts. (laughs) The mother was aghast. She looked down at her little four-year-old and said, What did you do? The little four-year-old looked up with repentant eyes and said, She smashed my face, so I bited her. Would you agree with me that people are biting people all the time? People are notorious, notorious joy-stealers. Job suffered loss as things were taken away from him. Satan worked through things. But Satan also works through people. People are the enemy's most favorite instruments of Delivery of his attack. Have you ever blessed someone only to have them reject you or mistreat you? Every parent that has invested love, energy, time, labor, finances into lovingly raising a child only to have that child shake their fist at them in rebellion and rejection knows what I'm talking about. Every spouse who has faithfully been committed to their wife or husband and poured love into them only to have that spouse end up in an adulterous affair or end up divorcing them knows. You know what I'm talking about. Everyone who's ever been, who's ever blessed a loved one. How many of you out there, you've blessed a relative, you've blessed a friend, or you've blessed someone here in this church by giving them a, a hand up financially, uh, or you gave them a loan, or you gave them a car, only to have that one turn their back on you, give you the cold shoulder, or maybe even put a knife in your back. You know what I'm talking about. Every pastor who has ever faithfully preached and ministered and been on call 24-7, been at the hospital, been at the funeral home, has been there to hold their hand, has been there to walk them through a marital difficulty and only have that one just turncoat on you and leave the church overnight. Excuse me, I'm going through a little catharsis here. You know what I'm talking about! You have invested, you have blessed... You have poured your love and God's love into that situation only to have it come back on you and reject you, cheat you, misuse you, use and abuse you. Abraham knows what I'm talking about. You need to read his story in Genesis 11, 12, and 13. Abraham's brother had died prematurely. His brother Haran And so Abraham adopted his brother's son as one of his own. Do you remember the name of Abraham's nephew who he adopted? Lot. Very good. God was pouring out the blessings on Abraham. And who (laughs) who received the spillover of the blessings, the prosperity? As long as Lot traveled with Uncle Abraham, God just kept blessing and blessing and blessing Lot. The two families, the two households, so increased, the land could not sustain both households. And so Abraham, to reduce the friction that was already ensuing between the two households, Abraham said, we need to separate, but I'm going to let you, Lot have first choice. Lot, you get first dibs. Lot, you get the first opportunity. And so what did Lot do? Lot, who had been so blessed by Uncle Abraham. Lot, who had received the altar of the Lord with Uncle Abraham and all the blessings of God. What did Lot do? Did he say, no, Uncle Abraham, you're, uh, you're my covering. You're my elder. I want to respect you. I want to honor you. You've given me so much. Uh, no, with God, we can make it together, Uncle Abraham. At the very least, Uncle Abraham, you have first choice. No, Lot didn't do that. Lot lifted up his eyes and looked at the well-watered plain. The valley, the Jordan River Valley. The the Bible says that it was so prosperous, it was like the Garden of Eden. The principal city of the Jordan River Valley was what? Sodom, Gomorrah. And the Bible says that's where Lot pitched his tents and his family, his children, as he chose beef over his daughters. And what is Uncle Abraham left with? Uncle Abraham is left with leftovers. I don't know about you men, but I don't enjoy leftovers as much as the real deal. (laughs) And the leftovers that Abraham had, parched, dry, arid, desert, like land. We're talking about the land of Canaan. (coughs) Leftovers. But he trusted God. And he had the spirit of reconciliation. He could have become resentful. He could have become bitter. He could have become retaliatory towards his nephew Lot. Look, I've been given the leftover. He doesn't even respect me. He dissed me. We don't find that with Abraham at all. He kept trusting God. He kept trusting God. He kept trusting God. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in Romans Paul says Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. (laughs) When you are cheated by somebody, even when you bless them, and you might have, it might even be in your own household. When you keep trusting God, and when you keep being kind to others, and not withdrawing the blessings, God's going to take care of you. God's going to restore unto you. Hear me in this. And how did God restore to Abraham? The Bible says that God, (laughs) after Lot made his choice, God spoke to Abraham and said, Abraham, I want you to look north. I want you to look south. I want you to look east. I want you to look west. As far as your eye can see and beyond, I'm going to give you the land. And not on, on, only unto thee, but unto your, all of your descendants, unto generations untold, unto your prom, This promise will be unto your descendants forever. Israel is a nation today because of that promise to Abraham. And where is Lot. Lot is no more, but God keeps His promises. He said, look to the north, south, east, and west. God keeps His promises. Then he told Abraham, I want you to look up as well. (laughs) If you could count the stars and you can't, Abraham, I will make your descendants more innumerable than even the stars of the universe. And that's just what God has done and God is doing. Listen, when you've been cheated, mistreated abused and used by those that you have even blessed, keep blessing, keep blessing, keep blessing, and keep your faith in God, and watch the restoration principle be enacted into your life. God did it with Abraham, and He'll do it for you. Fill in the blank with me. If God has promised... To more than restore what the enemy has stolen from you. Will, will you, will you, will you determine to engage in restoration praying? Restoration praying. This is what this cross is all about this morning. This cross is all about restoration praying. The greatest restoration that you can ever experience is not the restoration of your finances, not the restoration of your business or your employment, but the restoration of your children, your grandchildren, your moms, your dads, your brothers, your sisters, the restoration of your loved ones, to know that they know that you might know that God has restored faith in their life, God has wakened them up, that they've turned around, that they've come home to you, they've come home to Jesus. I'm talking about a restoration mentality. I'm talking about a restoration mindset. I'm talking about restoration praying. Do you know how to pray in such a way that it brings restoration? Let me give you five dynamics on how to conduct restoration praying. Dynamic number one this morning, restoration praying is praying with God. With the God-confident expectation that God is not only able, but He is desirous. He is desirous to restore what is lost or stolen. You see, restoration praying. The first dynamic I want to begin with. Restoration praying is the prayer of faith. Restoration praying is praying with an expectation mentality. Hallelujah. How many, how many from my generation, you remember one of the most glorious opportunities that you had in school? You remember what opened up many of your classes when you were invited to experience something called show and very good, you remember too. Do they still have show and tell in school? They should. Oh, it teaches kids how to uh, talk in, in front of a... Cl- it's one of the first places I learned to preach. Show and tell. I got so excited in show and tell, one time I sang a song to my girlfriend in the third grade. Shine on Harvest Moon. I mean, sang it right in front of the whole class and dedicated it to Sharon. Sharon Ditch, I'll tell you, my little girlfriend in the third grade. Oh, my. But the show and tell experience I remember the most was when I got up in front of the class one day. And I told the class in an excited, excited attitude. Uh, guess what? You know what I'm going to get? <laughs> my dad, my dad has promised me a Stingray bicycle. A Stingray bicycle with butterfly handlebars and a white banana seat. And it's going to be gold. <laughs> and it's going to have uh, these knobby tires on it. I'm talking a Stingray bicycle bicycle. My dad has promised it to me. For the next six months, that poor class, the only show and tell word that I had, the only word that I had for show and tell was this. Okay, Phil, you can come on up. The poor teacher. My dad has promised me a Stingray bicycle. It has butterfly handlebars, a white banana seat, and knobby tires on it. I'm talking a Stingray bicycle. I'm going to get it. All excited. And guess what? One day I was able to get up at show and tell and say, I got my show and tell experience. I got my show and tell promise. My dad gave me a stingray bicycle. I got it and I rode it to school this morning. What am I talking about? I could have used the illustration of Becky's brownies right now. I'm talking about expectation. Expectation. God invites us to pray in such a way. If you want to enjoy, if you want to engage in restoration praying, you must, you must uh, pray with expectation. You must have a restoration mentality. You must have the mentality, if God said it, I believe it, I receive it, and that settles it. (laughs) And get all excited about it. Uh, You might not see your healing in the natural, but get all excited and begin thanking the Lord for your healing. You might not see your son or your daughter coming to faith yet, but get all excited about it and begin thanking the Lord that it's already a done deal. Have your own show-and-tell experience in prayer. Amen? Do you hear me what I'm saying? This is not my word only. This is the word of Jesus. Mark 11, verse 24. Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, whatever, whatever, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have Received it, and it will be yours. It will be yours. 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 This is the type of mindset, the show and tell mindset, the expectation mindset that the Vandenberg family is experiencing right now. I am so blessed to have Pat Vandenberg here this morning. I am privileged to have you here, young lady, this morning. I am shocked to have you here this morning, but I know why you're here this morning. Monday morning at the seniors' breakfast, I was sick with the flu, but Tony came to the breakfast well and sound. Tony Vandenberg, raise your hand, Pat, so people know who Tony is. Tony, who sits here every single service, he came well and sound to the seniors' breakfast on Monday. But by Tuesday, he had had a burst blood vessel on his brain in intensive care, rushed to the hospital, then transported over to Southfield, Michigan to Providence Hospital. But when I came into the room Wednesday morning, I saw nothing but a show and tell faith. (laughs) Because God said it, I believe it, and I receive it. Wow, such faith! And I want to tell you what has transpired. And I I, I read this from the update. The EEG has been removed to check for seizures. There are no seizures. They thought, they thought, they thought he was going to have pneumonia. There is no pneumonia. They put him on a breathing machine. But now his breathing is strong. Even on he could breathe on his own if necessary. He responds to short voice commands. He's still in critical care. But the family feels that the prayer support of Lakeside Assembly of God is bringing him through. Everything is positive, positive, positive. The email that I got last night was... Pat Vandenberg is planning to be in church and she's standing on Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all your understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let's give Him the glory. Hallelujah. 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 And I'm believing for Tony to join us very, very soon, right next to his dear wife, Pat, right in that pew. Amen. God bless you, honey. And church, keep praying for this dear family, this dear couple. In the name of Jesus, pray restoration praying. Join with Pat in the restoration mentality. Praise God. Number two, restoration praying is authoritative praying. Authoritative praying. You must, you must, you must pray with authority. Why? Sin has opened the door to give legal permission to Satan to rule this world and all that's in it. The Bible calls him the God of this age. In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus is tempted by the devil, one of the temptations is to bow down and worship Satan. What did Satan offer Jesus in return if Jesus would bow down and worship him? Satan said, look at the kingdoms of the world. I will give you all the kingdoms of the world for they have been given into my hand and I may give them to whosoever I will. He is the God of this age. He rules the kingdom of darkness. He owns it all in a very real sense. Because sin, Adam and Eve's sin, has given legal permission for Satan to have dominion over planet Earth. That's why you need a greater authority. You need a greater legal authority. That's why you need to pray in a name that has great power, great authority. I shudder when I hear some Christians pray. I, I heard one guy pray recently. Devil, I rebuke you. You have no authority. I have all authority over you. I twist your horns and I pull your tail. That guy's words mean nothing. They, I mean, they mean squat in comparison to the devil's authority. Your name, my name, we have no authority over old Sloughfoot. There is only one name that died upon the cross for your sins. There is only one name that cried out, It is finished! There is only one name that is risen from the dead. There is only one name before whom the angels bow and the demons flee. Tell me that name! Jesus! You have been given the name of Jesus and to pray in the name of Jesus that you might have spiritual legal authority to move in spiritual dimensions. You have been given the legal power of attorney to use his name. You've been given a blank check to use his name to transact kingdom business on his behalf and for the glory of God. Jesus himself said this. Jesus and John in the gospel of John said, And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do do it when you pray in the name of Jesus When you pray in the name of Jesus to restore your loved ones back to the faith. You're praying for mountains to move, strongholds to be pulled down. You're praying for the light to pierce the darkness. You're praying for the power of God to wake them up and to turn them around. You have legal authority in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Saints, will you pray in the name of Jesus. Dynamic number three. Restoration praying is praying with a forgiving spirit. A forgiving spirit. I have watched the saints pray in the name of Jesus. I've watched the saints pray with expectation. But I have watched their prayers come to naught because they don't understand this next principle. I haven't put up Christmas lights for about five years. I used to put up Christmas lights for the children. But then, thank God, the children got old and left the house. But now I have to put up Christmas lights out in that cold and that snow for the grandchildren. And I couldn't get a string working. So instead of, you know, buying a $3 string of lights, I I'm going to be a fix-it man. And I'm standing there in a puddle of water, melted snow, and I said, oh, these two wires need to come together. And I put those two wires together. I had a shocking revelation not to do that standing in water. (laughs) Go ahead, say it. Dummy. (laughs) I saw you shaking your head. That's okay. (laughs) Okay. Yet, why do you short-circuit your prayer life all the time? By holding resentment against your brother, your sister, your ex. Until, until, until there's reconciliation, until you move into a spirit of forgiveness, your prayer life is going to be short circuited and there will be no restoration. This is not my word, this is the word of the Lord. And hear the word of the Lord this morning. Back to Mark 11. Back to the mountain-moving prayer experience. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it. It will be yours. I've already taught you that. Now look at verse 25. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Notice the juxtaposition of Forgiveness with expectation there's a powerful joining together there that many times the believers don't experience or don't realize dynamic 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 number four dynamic number four restoration praying is prayer warfare prayer warfare you civil war buffs how many civil war buffs historians do we have out there when 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 did Abraham Lincoln set the slaves free? What was that legal pronouncement called? The Emancipation Proclamation. Okay, I'm looking at Mike Blust right now because I know he's a Civil War buff. When was the Emancipation Proclamation given? Before the fighting, before the war, or after the war? Before the war. That's right, Mike. Before the war. You can move in spiritual authority. You can have legal spiritual authority as you move in restoration praying, but you also need power. Even though Abraham Lincoln set the slaves free legally through the Emancipation Proclamation, our nation still had to go to war. There still had to be a fight. Are you with me? Same with prayer. Even though you walk, As a believer in spiritual authority, it does not mitigate the fact that you have to show up for the week of prayer and get ready and have a fight. (laughs) We're talking about prayer warfare. We're going to spend an hour each night. Just one hour. Jesus said, can you not tarry with me? One hour. And you watch how quick that hour goes by. And there's going to be a time for prayer warfare. As we pray. As we pray. Not only for colds and flus, we're going to pray for souls that will last in eternity. Eternal souls that can end up in heaven or end up in hell. And we're going to pray, greater is he that's within us than he that's within this world. I'm talking about prayer. Prayer, I remind you, makes a way where there seems to be no way. Prayer stopped the mouths of lions. Prayer has vanquished armies and and devastated nations that have warred against the people of God. Uh, Prayer brought down fire from the skies. Prayer brought down rain from the heavens. Prayer can make the vilest uh, sinner clean. Prayer has changed the destiny of nations. The time of prayer, the place of prayer, the people of prayer are a people of power. Prayer has power. But God can't answer prayers that are never prayed. We have not because we ask not. Will you pray? Will you pray? Will you pray? We adjoin the fight. Uh, We adjoin the fight that the angels are in even right now. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Will you pray? Lastly, dynamic number five, restoration praying uh, includes the greatest of all prayers. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Jesus when his disciples came to him and said Lord teach us to pray Lord teach us to pray Jesus said I want you to pray after this manner our Father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done. Will you grow up in your prayer life? Jesus exhorts you to grow up in your prayer life. There's nothing wrong in praying for colds, flus. There's nothing wrong for praying for a parking uh, space uh, at the restaurant that you can't wait to get to. I have heard you rustling your papers. I forgot to have my closing sentence be a fill in the blank. Will you grow up from your thumb-sucking praying and start praying strategically instead of only logistically? Will you start praying, Thy kingdom come prayers. Thy kingdom come prayers. I just taught this on a Wednesday night. They are lofty. They challenge an almighty God. I'm talking about prayers that are so strategic, they're so worldwide, they're so huge. I'm talking about prayers that are, that are so impossible. It causes God to lean over the portals of heaven. It causes the Father to say, angels, do you hear what those young people are praying for? The lakeside young people are praying for revival in America. They're not praying for their for their jobs. They're not praying for an A on their test. They're praying, they're praying for revival in the United States of America. They're asking a big request, but I'm a big God, and they honor me as a big God. And because they're praying, because they're believing, because they're praying, thy kingdom come, I'm gonna answer it. Hallelujah! 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 We honor God greatly by asking greatly. Keep praying, thy kingdom come. To you who are weary of an X-rated, perverse, anti-Christ culture, keep praying, thy kingdom come. To you who are sick and afflicted in your body. You're tired of the pills, the surgeries, the doctors, and all the waiting rooms. By his stripes, you are healed. Keep praying, thy kingdom come. Uh, to the atheists, to the secular humanists, uh, to the, the terrorists, to the demonic terrorists of hell itself, uh, we put you on notice. There's still a holy remnant that is praying, that is interceding. We're trusting thy kingdom kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Pray. is not just present oriented. It's future oriented. I want to remind you the next time he comes back, he's not coming back to be laid in a manger or nailed to a cross. The next time he comes back, he's coming back riding a milk white stallion, thundering through the clouds. And he's going to declare to the nations of the world, I'm in charge now. King of kings and Lord of lords. Why? Because the church prayed, Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. How about it? How about it, church? How about it this morning? Are you praying with a restoration mentality? Are you praying with expectation? Are you praying, Thy kingdom come. The king is going to come because of God's people praying, Thy kingdom come, restore this earth back to our God, our Lord of lords, and our King of kings. How about it? Are you believing for the latter to be greater than the former? Are you going to believe for the latter to receive a double portion? Do you want that in your experience? I don't know about you. But I do. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, restore back to moms and dads. Restore back, oh God, to husbands and wives. Restore back to grandpas and grandmas, uh, to sons and daughters, oh God, that which has been stolen from us. The souls of our loved ones. Lord, many of us dedicated them as babies at this altar. And they're not where they should be in their walk with you. And Lord, for too long we've looked the other way. For too long we, we, we have dismissed it and said, well, at least they believe in God. But Lord, we know in our heart of hearts, they're not in right relationship with you. Lord, this morning I pray that there will come the spirit of intercession, restoration, praying upon this church as never before. And that we would see the family circle complete. That we would see each loved one restored to the household of faith. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed before, 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 before I move to the cross, a prayer, a cross of intercession and restoration this morning. heads are bowed and eyes are closed. How many, how many would like to be included in a prayer of salvation, a prayer of restoration this morning? You're not right with God. You're not sure that you have a home in heaven but you want to be certain, you want to be sure. I'm going to pray a prayer of salvation. Would you like to be included in it? This prayer of salvation will save your soul. It'll make you right with God. It'll give you a home in heaven. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. No one is looking around this place. Christians are praying, how many? How many? will lift up their hand and say, Pastor, include me in a prayer of salvation. Include me in your prayer. Lift up your hand right now if you want to receive that. God bless you. I see that hand. How many more? God bless you. Up on the balcony. I see that. Yes, God bless you. Yes, God bless you. How many more? Up on the balcony. Here on the main floor. Lift it up high that I might see it. God bless you. Yes. How many more? I know that this has been a... uh, a sermon about prayer this morning but how about your soul are you right with God Do you want to be right with God here's your opportunity how many more this morning Lift it up high if you want to be included in this prayer I don't want to leave anyone out okay let's pray lift up those hands again lift up those hands again and I want everyone to pray this prayer with me, especially those with their hands lifted up. Put your heart into what we're about to pray. Are you ready? Dear Jesus, I confess I am a sinner, but Jesus, you're my Savior. Save me from my sins. I believe you died for me, and I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection life. I want that life, Jesus. A new life. A changed life. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me, for changing me, for giving me a home in heaven. I thank you, Jesus, that I am saved. In the name of Jesus, I pray it. Amen. Amen and amen.